Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast Season 14, Episode 86. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday, Steelers Nation. Uh, always something going on, even though the, the weekend itself was relatively quiet, but a couple interesting tidbits to pass along. My first Pittsburgh Steelers 2024 mock draft also coming out today on Steelers Depot. So still a lot to talk about today. Dave, how you doing? How was your weekend? Uh, my weekend went fine. Happy Monday. Happy Super Bowl uh, week here. Both the teams have arrived in Vegas. Uh, so I imagine it's going to be crazy uh, here. It's always crazy here, but it's going to be <laughs> super, super crazy here, especially uh, when you get down towards uh, that, you know, the, the strip and all like that. So, uh, but anyway, uh, exciting time of year we got man jam-packed show today even though there's not much going on got a, a great guest and uh spent what about 35 minutes with uh, as well so uh and you've got a mock draft out and it's that time of year again when it comes to that stuff so where would you like to start yeah a little bit later in the show we'll talk to aaron freeman who covers the falcons for locked on falcons we'll of course talk about arthur smith his time in atlanta the person the coach that he is and what to expect in pittsburgh but dave Let's lead things off with a story I did not expect for us to discuss here on the last show, and that came over the weekend when former Pittsburgh Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell wants to become current Pittsburgh Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell, saying on Snapchat, a lengthy Snapchat story, that he intends to start training again here in mid-March and by April, make a decision on whether or not he wants to to truly get back into the NFL, but he's going to at least attempt to come back in some respect. He's turning 32 here in a couple of couple of days and says his body feels better than ever, better than it did at 20 years old. And so he thinks he's good to go. And he says he only wants to play for one team. He did not explicitly say who that one team was based on his past comments and his whole history. We can assume that team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Le'Veon Bell wants to return. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look, you know, we, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what, 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 what might happen along with, uh, Najee Harris and, and Jalen Warren in 2024 with the Steelers there, obviously, you know, both those guys should be, uh, doing what they do, especially in this Arthur Smith, uh, offense, you know, when it comes to, uh, who will be, a you know, uh, a number three running back that will be interesting to watch play out along with, you know, the potential arrival of a, of, of, of a true fullback. If they don't go down that path with a guy like Connor Hayward, uh, all that said, I mean, and, and, you know, we, we hate to hit this point home, you know, a, a, a number three running back with the Steelers is probably going to have to play. Not probably is going to have to play mm-hmm. on, on, on special teams. I have a hard time envisioning uh, Le'Veon Bell doing that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, he never really did. had to do it during his NFL career. Uh, to me, 
I mean, it would be a great story uh, if 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 he signed and it, and contractually, it would probably have to be a veteran benefit contract for the minimum. Uh, I have no issue if he was in the right mindset and all like that of signing Le'Veon Bell to a one year veteran benefit contract because you never know how injuries uh, might might impact and you know. But I mean, let, let let's face it, the end of his career. Uh, I mean, he bounced around several NFL teams and, you know, they you saw what kind of they thought about him and the usage that he got in there. It just it just seems like that that ship is all sailed when it comes to Le'Veon Bell. Now, you never know how injuries might impact things, but, you know, looking at it objectively and 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 everything. I, I would be surprised if he even signs with the Steelers, to be quite honest with you. I would, too. Listen, the guy's about to turn 32, has not played a down since 2021. I'm sure he's still in good shape. He's been boxing. I'm sure he takes care of himself, but he even admitted he's not run a full sprint in a year. So mm. He doesn't even really, his body may feel good, but what's going to happen when once he gets training and, you know, what if he were to get into an NFL camp, how good would his body feel by then? I'm sure it feels good when you're not, you know, taxing yourself for the last year in that you know, traditional football sense. So uh, it's interesting to hear. He seems to be pretty adamant about it. As you said, the only scenario I could see is maybe if somebody were to get hurt mm-hmm. and you want him for a third down role, because he can probably still catch and has some size to pass protect. But yeah, dude's 32. I don't see the interest in Pittsburgh to have their top two backs. There is an open question about who that third running back right. is. I think it's wide open, but it does not mean Le'Veon, uh, Le'Veon Bell has to be the man that fills it. So We'll, we'll keep you posted. We'll see how serious he is by mid-March. That's in six weeks or so. So we'll see if he's actually training and uh, is true to his word that he said over the weekend. But I don't see a reunion happening anytime soon and probably not at all in Pittsburgh. I, I agree. And look, you know, I think the biggest thing with him right now is he's just so happy to be back sort of like in, I guess, good graces overall and the attention that he gets from the Steelers fan base because uh, obviously – uh, 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 you know, fans of the team didn't like the way it all went down there at the end. And, you know, he's obviously come back out in a couple of podcast interviews since then. And, you know, in so many words, admitting that, that, you know, uh, he made a mistake in, 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 in the way things played out in Pittsburgh and wishes he would have stayed. And I think he likes that attention being back in, 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 in the good graces and would like like to have more of that, but I, I I'm with you. I, I just, I'll be surprised if it ends up happening to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I like Le'Veon Bell. I think he's a good guy. I think he made some bad decisions. I think he just kind of was, didn't have a clear head in terms of making his contract decisions and tried to chase some money that probably wasn't really there. And obviously it cost him, but I you, listen, you're, it, it's the NFL, it's a business. And from a business decision, um, it, it does not make sense to bring Le'Veon Bell back, right. at least unless something drastic were to change. I agree. All right, moving on from that. And uh, again, we'll keep you posted on any more Bell comments throughout the offseason. My first mock draft dropping today. Uh, first of a, a couple, I don't try to oversaturate with mock drafts. And I probably won't do another until after the combine before free agency, but Always good to kind of lay the groundwork, and these are always what I think the team will do, but based on how early things are without free agency, the combine, pro days, they're really just, you know, very much guesses in terms of the direction this team could go. This will get refined and I think become more of an educated guess throughout the process. But let's dive on in. Dave, I want to get your, your takes on my picks here, starting at number 20. 
I went with Nate Wiggins, the cornerback from Clemson, high-level athletic cover corner, good man coverage guy, good ball skills, um, you know, super uh, in terms of his effort, the speed he should run no worse than four fours, grew up in his time at Clemson. There is nothing there opposite Joey Porter Jr. If you get Wiggins on one side, Porter on the other, you got two potential lockdown corners for five-plus years. Yeah, I think the 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 thing that you have to underscore here when looking at uh, uh, needs and potential uh, uh, positions that the Steelers will be or uh, might be drafting this offseason is you know that that cupboard uh, behind uh, Joey Porter Jr. is about to probably be emptied out. I mean, you got three guys uh, going to be uh, unrestricted free agents in Levi Wallace, Chandon Sullivan, and James Pierre. James Pierre is merely a special teamer uh, for the most part, can offer you something at depth, but I mean, he's down the ladder there. Uh, obviously, Chandon Sullivan, his role is more of a, a, a inside guy, and Levi Wallace, I mean... You know, that's another depth guy that really doesn't give you any any aspect on special teams. It's going to be interesting to see the decision that this team makes in the middle of March when it comes to Patrick Peterson and his uh, 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 roster bonus that that's due, especially when you parlay, parlay that uh, into his play. But I mean, uh the, the position aside, I mean, I could see the Steelers drafting a cornerback at some point uh, during this year's draft. I'm still I, I'm a little bit I, I've come off of the come off of it a little bit of thinking that and absolutely it will not be first round uh, mm-hmm. guy. I still do lean uh, you know, that way, thinking that, man, there's so many holes on this team. But I mean. When you once again, when you recap just everything that I just said, I mean, and and you look at it, it would have been a nice to have to 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 seen something out of Corey Trice last year and a little bit more maybe out of Darius Rush, but those guys Trice and Rush right now are just merely, you know, they're they're lottery tickets so to speak. You don't really know what you have in there uh, as opposed to a guy coming out of college. Uh, that, 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 you know, could, could be more blue chip pedigree type guy. And I understand we've talked a little bit about Nate Wiggins uh, already uh, uh, briefly in this pre-draft process. So I understand why you went there. I wouldn't think that a guy like Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, who had a fantastic uh, senior bowl and, and, and that wasn't surprising at all. I, I wouldn't think that he would be there. I do wonder how many other corners might roll off the board uh, in, 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 in those top 20 picks. Uh, but I do, I, I, at its core, I understand why you went with Wiggins. Uh, I guess my biggest question, not digging too deep down into him is what, uh, in, in what you have seen, uh, what do you think about his kind of his, his, his tackling ability and his ability and, and want to play the run? It needs work. His run fits can be undisciplined. He can get confused and screw up in crack replace, for example. The tackling is inconsistent. He's a, a skinnier, more wiry type of frame. He probably needs, I shouldn't say probably needs to add some strength and, and some muscle to him. So those are the biggest concerns in his game. But you know, if you get a chance to have that second high-level cover corner, yeah, you already have your number one guy in Porter, and so is there some sort of diminishing return to have a number two high-level corner, perhaps? But the way you could change your your defense schematically, you can be more aggressive, you can blitz, you have more trust in those corners. If somebody like Wiggins were to work out, 
And if you can get those two top tier corners, man, you are just really just set. And if somebody goes down, somebody gets hurt, you still have somebody else right there to become that, uh, you know, true number one, or at least have always have a number one corner out there on the field. So power five, I assume he's going to be rassy and athletic and hit all those boxes as well. So yeah, could you go tackle or center? Absolutely. I may do that in a future mock draft, but just on the onset, a chance to get a guy like Wiggins at 20 makes a ton of sense. He's a little lean too, for what the Steelers look for generally, right? Yeah, he's listed 185. Like I said, he's got to add some strength and some muscle, but Porter was a, a leaner guy. Porter was, how heavy was Porter coming out? He was heavier, but I don't know if he was significantly heavier. What uh, did he weigh, 190-something when he came out of the draft? I'll have to roll back here to the uh, to the combine numbers real, real quick. And 193 is NFL.com at the combine. I don't know if that's uh, his exact... Porter was 193, 602 and a half, 193. Okay. And Wiggins is listed 185. I don't okay. know what his playing weight is. Um, he, he's definitely leaner, but if he can come in at the combine at 190, I'm good with that. Okay. All right. Uh, definitely see why you went the way that you went. Uh, I think you just did it to put a cornerback in there because I'm because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking about it. I'm not 100 percent uh, sold on this team going cornerback in the first round. But I mean, obviously, as, as, as uh, you know, just recap there, uh, there's going to be a room that needs to be filled back up at that position sure. group. For sure. All right. Round two was my worst kept secret. I think everybody guessed this in my teaser tweet yesterday when I said I would drop my mock draft. They all said, you're putting Zach Frazier in there, aren't you? And I didn't say anything, but yes, I put Zach Frazier in there in round two, 51st overall. Some people thought about him as a potential first round pick, but as you've mentioned, Dave centers tend to fall a bit and with the broken leg that he suffered um, and with uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, I think we'll go ahead of Frazier. That is, is plausible to push a guy like Frazier down to round two guy just is a stealer you know fits arthur smith system i comped him to ben jones before the smith hire and arthur smith has talked up ben jones in terms of what he meant for tennessee from a culture standpoint toughness standpoint frazier's tough smart good run blocker not the most athletic guy he's not creed humphrey but he's athletic enough he can get out of stance and make blocks and work to the second level and work out in space but just tough captain uh just again that that kind of true classic stealer center this team needs a center uh, and it's going to come at some point during the draft. I'm, I'm really convinced about that. If it's not Jackson powers, Johnson, uh, it feels like it would be it, at least this early on. Don't want, don't obviously don't like to talk about absolutes at any point when it comes to draft and who will be there and who won't be there and, and this kind of thing. But, uh, it does feel like Jackson powers, Johnson might wind up being the first center off the board. It does feel like it would be a gift if he fell to the Steelers uh, in the second round. Uh, if that did not happen, it does feel like Zach Frazier would be kind of the next guy uh, on the list. You could at least this early out uh, fathom uh, him him being there on the board. You know, in, in, in the second round, I agree with you that uh, everything that that I've seen and read and, you know, he matches up uh, within that. I would fully expect uh, uh, them to have presence at the West Virginia Pro Day uh, there. Uh, it would uh, th- this early out has my vote of approval because, man, once again, this team needs another young Steelers like center that they could hopefully get seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 seasons out of. 
Right. You know, last time they tried to find that next center to replace Pouncey was Kendrick Green, underclassman, played primarily guard. Frazier's a different guy. He's more technical. He's more refined. He's a senior. He's got a ton more experience, especially at center. Has played some guard before, but primarily has played in the middle. And yeah, I think for sure, you know, Pat Myers can be at that West Virginia Pro Day, especially with the injury. I don't know when or if Frazier will be able to to, you know, have no limitations. He did dressed for the senior bowl, but worked off to the side. Uh, he did not participate in, in the actual you know, practice and full contact drills. But the fact he's even in uniform and snapping right now when he broke his leg know, a couple months ago, it's really remarkable and just kind of speaks to his uh, toughness and mindset. So with wow. that, the wrestling background all just kind of makes sense. Absolutely, it does. All right, moving on now to the third round, and that's Blake Fisher, the right tackle from Notre Dame, was at 606-312. I'm going to do the scouting report on him soon, but 25 starts at right tackle. You know, Instead of having to find a left tackle and then flip him to right tackle, which is how a lot of college tackles go, you have a guy that you know has that experience and is comfortable at right tackle. And we've said it before, Dave, really, I would really want to move Broderick Jones over to left tackle. And if you do that, then there's really a big hole at right tackle. You don't know. Who's going to fit that Fisher can be that guy? Uh, I don't know. I haven't watched a lick of him yet. I've watched a little bit of the other uh, Notre Dame tackle. We've got a uh, scouting report up on him. He's probably going to be off the board, you would think, by the time the Steelers pick in the first round there. So I have homework uh, to do on Blake Fisher. Uh, what what would you say is, you know, in, in, in what you know about him, What what what's kind of the top redeeming uh, 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 plus when it comes to a guy like Blake Fisher. I mean, he's obviously if he if he measures in at the size mm-hmm. and at least some of the expected a- a- athletics uh, athleticism traits uh, that you read about him. I mean, he, he certainly fits from that aspect. But uh, is, is there one at least early redeeming quality that you would attach to him? Yeah, again, I'm going to have to go through the tape on that and, and, and talk about that a little more in depth probably later this week. But from what I know about him and read on him a little bit is just in terms of being a, a technician and just being a solid, consistent, well-rounded guy. And we'll see what the length is because that's important for Pittsburgh, for for Pat Meyer. But if he is 606 truly and we don't have an official measurement, he was not part of the uh, all-star circuit. He's an underclassman and did not qualify. I think they are allowing some underclassmen to, to participate in the senior bowl, but Fisher was not there. Um, but if he has, you know, 34 plus inch arms, then kind of a measurable standpoint, it fits. But I think just, you know, the attractiveness to me off the top was to have that time at right tackle and not take that left tackle and try to flip him over and hope that he's comfortable there, which we've seen Pittsburgh go down that road and with, you know, middling results of trying to play linemen at a position. So to have that guy from a you know good conference, good school with experience that's played a lot of right tackle is uh is, is pretty promising. All right. Uh with your next pick in round four, the only thing I know about uh James Williams and really uh uh, uh the safety out of Miami, the only thing that that I've heard up until this point, I haven't gotten into the film, but I I I've heard, man, you gotta watch both of the safeties over there is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is my understanding when it comes to these guys. Uh, both of them are, 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 are reportedly pretty fearless overall. Uh, and, you know, James Williams was at the Senior Bowl, so I know what little bit has come out about him uh, this past week. Tell, tell, tell me more uh, about James Williams. Yeah, he won't go as high as the other Miami Hurricane safety, uh, Cameron Kinchins, but but he's a guy that's you're kind of hopefully classic box safety. He's actually repping a linebacker at the senior bowl. He's really huge at 6043, 230 pounds. So, you know, where that true fit is might be a bit of a question, which is a fair maybe critique here. But if he can play in that true box role and let Minka 
be that post safety and not have to play in the box as much as he did, especially early on in the season. I think that's going to be important for Pittsburgh. And they're just old at safety, Dave. I mean, Casey's over 30, Neil's over 30, Minka's getting kind of close to 30. So you got some guys under contract. There is no maybe screaming need there, but you, you know, you got to get some youth, maybe some speed in there as well. And William's productive, he's a hitter. And so while he may be a bit more limited to that box role, similar to Terrell Edmonds, I think you want that defined, strong safety opposite of Minka Fitzpatrick. And look, I mean, you could get into a situation here and, 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 and potentially even by the middle of March. I mean, how safe are guys like uh, Neil and Casey uh, right now? Uh, I, it, it is, to me, it's kind of hard to fathom that you rip the carpet out from underneath both of those guys by the middle of March because... You know, you, you you can't just empty a room out mm-hmm. uh, and it's not like there's a, a huge amount of cap savings uh, initially with those guys. So I, I would expect both those guys to 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 last past the middle of March. But once you got past the middle of March, obviously later into the offseason, closer to the start of the season, is it a slam dunk that both those guys make the uh, make the 53 man roster and I, I wouldn't would not bet my house on it I mean I could see it happening but I mean if you are able to provide you know good starter uh, capable uh, younger uh, uh, guys via the draft why would you and especially one that could potentially upgrade the play particularly at a strong safety position so uh, this is another one that I'm excited about learning more about and, and, and throwing the tape on uh, going this offseason. I, I definitely understand why you went with a more strong safety type position mm-hmm. here. Right. It does not seem to be a great safety class overall. So it is maybe harder to find that name. And and you're right. You know, Casey and Neil are not guaranteed anything. I think they're going to make it through at least the draft and you can kind of see what you get there. Um, but, you know, Neil got hurt last year and um, it's it just a group that needs that youth and, Maybe some more speed than Williams potentially may offer to this team. So there's a consideration there, but I just think that secondary, really a safety group specifically, has to get a bit younger and just kind of a bit faster overall. Would you, uh, you wouldn't be against uh, Edmonds coming back on a veteran benefit deal, would you? No, I'm all for it. If he wants to do that, I think I'd be, I'd have at no least, at least let him compete, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, him and Minka had great chemistry and they worked together so well. And his availability and durability were important. And he's still, how he's not that old because he came uh, out so young. He's like 26, yeah. 27. So, I mean, there's still, you know, life in those tires. I mean, if anything, he could uh, be a backup and play on special teams for you still, you know? Yeah. So I hadn't looked at the whole safety group for free agency. And, and maybe that's an area Pittsburgh explores some more because the draft class just at first, you know, glance is not as strong, but We'll see. But for now, James Williams to be that strong safety hitter in the uh, middle of the draft. All right. With the uh, second of uh, two round four guys, you actually have a guy that I know a little bit about. We've talked about already. I'm not surprised he he showed up, but uh, uh, you were you were probably like me. The deeper that you got into his tape uh, there, uh, you were probably whelmed by him. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe that's higher expectations because we had that same feeling with Darius Robinson. It's just so hard to find that ideal Steelers defensive lineman, that defensive end that can check all those boxes. Or, or from a measurable standpoint, there are only so many guys who do that. And Hall is one of those guys, 605, 6, 290, 34, and almost 34 and a half inch arms. So 
that's impressive. And there are some impressive moments on tape. And I think he had a really good senior bowl week from kind of what the guys said. First couple days for sure, I think. Yeah. And and so I get that. And his production kind of waned throughout his Baylor career, but probably some better tape earlier uh, on in his Baylor uh, career. But he's a guy that you know I think can play all over the line. He played nose tackle. He played three tech. He played four eye. He played five tech. Um, he, he's When he plays with good technique and pad level, he's strong and stuff to run. He uses that length well to create space between him and the blocker. There is a swim move there that he can utilize, that can get pressure. And just, again, a body type standpoint, that scarcity of its standpoint. Um, and he's he's athletic. He's going to run well. He's, he might run a sub-540 time. Like this, this guy, when he opens he it up. He chases the ball nicely. Mm-hmm. His effort is strong, too. So those are all kind of the baseline things Pittsburgh looks for in terms of having some athleticism, the size requirement, obviously, in the chase. I mean, that all fits. So He's got to develop and improve his technique, and I don't know if the upside is is super, super high, but um, I, I could certainly see Pittsburgh's interest in Gabe Hall. What did you think about, the, the more you got into his film, his get-off? We talked about that that uh, I, the last time we mentioned him, that I kind of wondered... Uh, I, I thought his, I thought his senior bowl stuff was a lot better than, than some of the stuff on tape overall. Uh, the get off isn't all that great. And he does seem to stand up, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I think his, his explosiveness off the snap is average to a little slow. And his issue is he plays, he's almost too tall because he's almost six, six and he gets upright. And I got a clip in the scouting report that went up against him against Texas state and him just getting just uprighted and almost knocked off his feet. I mean, he just plays so tall. And so he's got to fight his leverage. He's not a natural bender. That's super able to, to get low and he's really kind of fighting his height. So that's the concern while he's strong. And when he's able to get play with good pad level, you can't really move the guy, but he does stand up too much and he plays too tall and that ruins his leverage and his strength. Yeah. I, I tried to watch him spe- a, a lot specifically when he was on the field in the senior bowl game. And I'm interested to, to, to see if they got the all 22 up for that yet. Uh, I thought he represented himself pretty well overall in the, in the actual senior bowl game. He's uh, he, uh, and just as tape in general, you don't see him all. Look, if you're going to play defensive line, you can't be on the ground. And I think mm-hmm. that that's one thing that stuck out to me. I didn't see him on the ground uh, all that much in what I've watched with him so far. And I think as far as, you know, fighting off double teams and multiple blockers, I think he holds his ground uh, pretty well. I think he made one. I think he got off one block and and, and had one tackle in the senior bowl. Uh, I think I think he maybe had one pressure in there as well, too. So, uh to, to me, though, is he is he elite an uh, an elite defensive tackle, uh, big big guy uh, in this class? No, I do have him as kind of a uh, look draft scout. I think who I I I get a lot of their info and keep updated on on a lot of measurables and their reports uh, uh, during the offseason. They have him listed as like a seventh round guy. That that right. that 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 to me, I mean. Seems too low. Yeah, he's way too low. I mean, just body type alone, uh, you would think this guy is is, is fourth, fifth round uh, uh, kind of guy there. So I do think that the Steers will have interest in him. He feels like an upgraded louder milk uh, is kind of my takeaway there. But uh, they're not going to find too many guys 
of six foot five, mm. almost 300 with uh, 34, three eighths inch arms. I don't think in this draft class. So if they don't get a defensive lineman uh, early in those first two, two, you know, first two or three picks, they, I, they are most definitely, I think, barring any kind of character hearts and smarts, uh, 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 bad, you know, athletic, you know, RAS scores or anything like that. Uh, you're not going to find that guy in the fourth round. I don't think like, like Gabe Hall. So, uh, he, he, I, I, the, the deeper I got into my tape with him, I kind of, he kind of got pushed down in there, but if you're looking for a guy in the fourth round, this, this could be the guy. Right. And I know that a lot of mocks and as you said, draft scout lists him as a late day three guy, but I think with the senior bowl week with the body type, and again, he's going to run low five second or maybe a four, nine, seven type of 40 time. When he opens it up, this guy can run. That's going to push up his stock, Mm -hmm. I think, into at least the mid rounds. Let me ask you this, Dave. How much, and I, and I think there are definitely differences. I, this is not my comp to him, but how much of a Keanu Benton kind of feel did you get watching Gabe Paul? Not even just from the actual tape, but good senior bowl week. Um, you know, the, the the frame that he has, the number is even, you know, both were 95. Did you get any sort of Benton kind of feel in any respect when you watch this tape? Yeah, not, uh, not overall, especially when I, I roll back in my head of, okay, we, we identified Benton early in the process, uh, got to watch a little of, of his tape, uh, uh, head of the senior bowl. And then just some of the things, you know, the biggest thing that I thought would Benton, one of the biggest knocks that I, I worried. And I said this and he's overcome it, or at least it seems to have during his rookie season was, uh, the, the balance aspect of him, mm-hmm. uh, uh, being able to, to stay on his feet. Now, I, I will say that I think Gabe Hall, uh, compared to that, d- does maybe a similar or uh, comparative, uh, job as far as that, but Benton just seemed more explosive off the line. Now there's a recency bias here of right. seeing him. But at, at the senior bowl, it was Benton that kind of really showed the pass rush rush. Right. That was the question about Benton at Wisconsin was could he get after the quarterback? Right. And now with 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 Hall and his ability to swim, especially in those first couple of days, mm-hmm. is is there more to him than just that arm over? Does he have that bat? Now he's got the bull rush, at least on the tape. I don't know if we saw that as much maybe at at the senior bowl, but he he's not going to have the hips. I don't think that 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 that, that, that Benton showed. Uh, in other words, be able to get get off the line. I think Benton's get off was better coming out of college than than uh, than than Gabe Hall's there. Uh, I do think at the core, Hall can rush the passer. Uh, I just don't think he's as explosive off of the line. And I think outside of the swim and the bowl. You know, you're not going to be, be, I don't think you're going to see him be able to, to, to get those hips through the gap. Like you sure. was, uh, like, like, like you saw bitten, bitten, and that's why he's downgraded here. That's why he's probably going to be more of a, uh, late third, fourth round type of guy overall. I don't think you're going to get the overall athletic trait that Benton had, but I do think that the, 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 the six and the seventh round, He's going to go higher than that, I feel. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, is he a premier guy in, in this class? No, but 
if you're looking for someone that you could get in the mid rounds and if you could get him to not rise up out of his stance and if you could get him uh, maybe doing a little, even a little bit better job against the run and just refine some of the things that he mm-hmm. does, I, I think you could, could come around, could come out of uh, this with a nice, nice mid mid round prospect. But uh, Benton a year ago, I, I think I felt more comfortable with, hey, first or second round guy than I do with where Hall is at right now, if that makes sense. Sure. And I do too. I think Benton was always the top, the better prospect and I, and he's heavier and he's much bendier and more athletic and more just kind of a natural mover than I think Hall is. But I just had the standpoint of these are guys that can play the run. Their frames are relatively similar. They're playing in kind of pro style defenses you know, senior bowl week, they kind of show out in their pass rush 1v1 drills. They do love that swim or that club over move. They're both pretty effective with that. Um, did you, you saw the bull? Cause I didn't see the bull. Uh, maybe I just didn't see the right tape. I felt like the bull is something Hall does not have right now. And Ben's still working on that as well. I, I as far as the effectiveness of it, probably not, but I, I saw him trying to get those arms extended. Right. But know? it wasn't effective is my, my point is he's Pro- pushing and collapsing the pocket. Pro- probably not, not, not enough in the limited amount of tape that I've seen. Okay. Cause I think he has to work on that. He's got right. the swim. He's got the club over and a little bit of a rip move too, but there's gotta be a power element. And that's the same with Benton where like the club over is a, a sick move. It's, it's so refined. It's so good, but Benton has to add to that. He's got to play with power and threaten down the middle. I think hall while not as effective, it was either move probably as Benton can be is in a similar situation. Okay. So that's kind of where I, again, not comparing him. I was trying to find a comp to Hall. It was kind of hard to find a good player comp. I landed on like a Henry Anderson, Tyson Jackson, or if he can refine his technique, kind of a Chris Wormley, where it's kind of a little bit of everything in this game, but not like super stand out in any one right. regard. Maybe a bit, a bit better against the run than Wormley, but that's kind of where I think maybe the ceilings at. Some people have called Hall Chris Jones, which yeah. I think is a bridge far too far. I mean, I can see a super poor man's. Uh, uh, Chris Jones, but look, I, I, I improperly evaluated Chris Jones, uh, coming out. Uh, I, I struggled to find it with him in, in, in the tape. I remember having a conversation, I think with you and, mm-hmm. and whoever at, at the time, you know, man, I just, I, I struggled with identifying Chris Jones as, as, as a guy that could potentially be that guy in the NFL. So, uh, you know, I, look, I, I, I will watch more Gabe Hall moving forward, but I mean, I think of, of everything that I've seen, at least from a measurable standpoint, and that's de- obviously dangerous to do. And you're just not going to find those type body types throughout, right. throughout, throughout the draft class and all. Now, you know, could, could the Steelers potentially go with a guy more, uh, six, three, two eighty, uh, moving forward. I mean, yeah, there's a possibility of that, but I mean, if you want to look at what they have generally liked in the past, it's going to be hard to get past Gabe Hall. It's just now, if indeed he 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 winds up being that guy, what is his upside? Where is his ceiling? You know. Yeah, there's room for growth, but he's a, he's a developmental guy to me. He's got some work to do. Do we know how old he is? Because I've struggled finding a. a he's a born question. in Jan- he he's a January he's a mid January baby. Uh, as far as where he was born, I just, I don't know the year. I mean, are we talking about someone that's 25 or is he 23? Uh, I don't know that yet. Yeah. He's a, a senior. 
Um, I will, maybe we'll have to wait for the Dane Brugler draft guy. Probably. He always tracks those downs. I don't think I was able to find Wikipedia has some weird error where it calls him 40 years old. So I don't right. know what's going on with that. He, he um, was born in, in like the eight January 18th or 17th or something like that. I know his, I know his birth month, <laughs> uh, the year though. Yeah, but I, I haven't found that. And I tried to look at all everybody wishing him happy birthday on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you really? I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what we do, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, so I, and that's how I found out that his birthday, I mean, I, I think Baylor all the last three years has happy birthday uh, tweets to him uh, out there, <laughs> but I have not found his actual what year he was born in, but okay. we got plenty of time to do that. As a senior, you would assume. 22 23 he's probably not 21 is my okay. guess okay so that that's probably where he's at right now they're, right, round, they're going to like him yeah they're gonna they're gonna take an interest in him and i think want to look at him and probably not not the, not the last time we're gonna talk about gay paul in this pre-draft process i got a real problem I, I i i got some air of some grievances here with these final two picks here all right i figured you would so round six you're going punter with ryan Reckow from byu one of the top punters in this class you're against the punter we, we they need a new punter the harvard experiment they, they do need over. they do need a new punter but i uh, you know Look, they 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 drafted Harvin. Yeah. Go go get go have a, a punter tryout or 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 whatnot. After bring in a couple, you know, bring in one or two undrafted free agents. Uh, all like this team's got so many holes that they could fill even in the sixth and seventh round of this draft of guys that might not make it. Uh, and look, I haven't watched a kid punt. You, I mean, you you have the. Uh, the uh, uh, the stats on him and all like that. And they all look absolutely. I just I struggle with with, with <laughs> drafting it. drafting punters and 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 kickers and those that that kind of thing. That that that's my own personal, uh, especially with a team that's got. And look, I mean, the team but, has but, but punter as a whole, like in, sure, it's such it a is, huge part, sure. and they were so crushed. I mean, how much did not having a good punter hurt them sure. last year? Sure, and it might hurt them going forward. Uh, for for sure, you you've got to have a a good punter, uh, absolutely. So I I understand why you did it. Uh, I just I don't love it, and, and I won't I won't love it. <laughs> I you get it. You can't make me love it. I'm trying. I'm gonna try to. Is, is he like... the top? Is I and I haven't looked. Is he the one? Is he one of the top punters in this year's class? I, I he assume. Is, I... I imagine Tory Taylor is still going to go first. Um, you know, the Iowa great punter there. Reco actually had better numbers. His 47.4 yard average in his career is second best in college football history. And it's like three yards higher than what Harvin's ever was. Harvin had, I think, one really strong year. It was a Ray Guy award winner his last year. But talk about consistency. Reco has been able to show that throughout his career. He's a big guy as well. Again, I get punter, but. I think we're going to make a heavy investment to, to upgrade that position. If you get undrafted guys, you're going to get potentially undrafted guys results. And I just want to, you know, rather than spending the pick on a fourth corner or whatever, you know, some, some more depth guy, go get a starter that can flip the field because it's really an important part of how your offense sure. looks and is going to be designed this year. Sure. You understand that my core, why I can't do this though, right? Sure. Sure. I, I mean, mean, I get, I, 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 and I get why you put them in there and, uh, look, if uh, I'll, I'll say this, if Danny Smith shows up at BYU, mm-hmm. you know, look out, look out. All right. Round seven. This one, I think you're going to, you have a very good case to be against here. Just, I'm going to needle you a little bit here with Blake Watson, the running back. Yes. A running back here from Memphis in the seventh round, atypical what the team typically looks at 
5093, I might have 198. I think it's actually 189. I think I might have crossed those numbers up here, but a smaller guy, but his receiving chops and a good week at the East West Shrine Bowl. And again, I think that third running back, it's open. And for a team that needs to have good running back depth, Watson is the pick. All right. I have not watched him. I, I will put him on the list. Uh, it won't happen this weekend. I can guarantee you about that. Uh, uh, I, I'll go through the roof if they draft. <laughs> if they draft Even in the, the seventh run, round. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go through. I'll go through the roof if they draft a running back. I understand why you did it. Uh, man, why, why couldn't you put a X or a Z wide receiver in there? You know? Someone yeah, that, that, that 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 has special teams ability. I mean, can Watson even give you anything on special teams? It's a fair question. I don't know his background too well from that aspect of it, but certainly would be needing to do something there. It yes. feels like this whole mock draft was made to get my <laughs> ire up uh, because I, I I stated that uh, I don't think they'll draft a cornerback in the first round, and uh, you knew Dave would go off about having a punter and a, a running back at I, I, idiot. And look, this just, I mean, their first one's out of shoot. And, uh, I, I certainly have been wrong before when it comes to this, this stuff here. Uh, I don't think I would have, uh, put a punter punter or a, uh, five, nine running back in, in, mm-hmm. in a, in a muck draft out of shoot. I, I, I would suppose that's your biggest pushback so far. I think so overall. Yeah, it's probably been uh, less so even on the punter, but I think more so on the on the cornerback in the first round. Watson, okay. I just kind of thought about, you know, Arthur Smith mentioned having Deion Lewis in Tennessee, who's even smaller than Watson, and just kind of that potential third down back and a guy that's caught 90 passes the last two years. There's something interesting about Blake Watson. So will they, in all likelihood, if they were to draft a running back late, it would probably be their typical 215-plus pound type of build but just something a little bit different that may be a bit of a wrinkle for the Arthur Smith offense. I, I tell you, that's got me more intrigued here is in the others considered. What do you know about Derek Snell, the fullback? I was trying to find like a traditional true fullback and not a great class for it. Not that it ever typically is, but Snell from Montana state. So small schoolers, I know typically not the well Pittsburgh goes to, although late in the draft that has occasionally happened, Chris Lodokin and, um, is there any relation here to, to, to no, no, not that I'm aware of. No, but okay. um, he, he, he's kind of called a, a lead guy. He's really, really like big and thick. He actually did some return work for Montana state early this year, punt returner and kick returner. I got to get some more information on him, but I was trying to find somebody that was like a true lead blocker, not one of these H back types, which could work, but I was trying to find, you know, for this Arthur Smith offense, cause he's typically had a true designated lead blocker, Keith Smith in Atlanta the last three seasons. So um, that may be a late report this year, but interesting name. All right. Uh, uh, guys, I want to learn more about on this list of yours that uh, make makes sense. Obviously, Blake Fisher and James Williams. Uh, I, I think those are good initial uh, pulls by you. Obviously, know a little bit about Zach Frazier. Thanks to you. I know a little bit about Nate Wiggins ahead of today. And, I, you know, the, the guy on the list that I think I know the most about uh, of your mock draft is Gabe Hall. Okay. Uh, what is your? Do you have any thoughts for where you would go in the first round if you were making a mock with position player? Anything coming to mind? Man, Jackson Powers Johnson, if he's there, ooh, uh, from what I've seen so far, or maybe one of these top tackles should they should they fall to? You? I know you have a Mar- uh, 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 Marius Mims uh, listed as someone. Uh, it it they they've got to address his offensive line early i think in this year's draft and and at some point both center and tackle position so 
that's got my intrigue uh, early on here. Yeah, I want to talk about Mims. I wrote a report on him uh, two days ago, and he might end up being the guy I'm the most conflicted on throughout okay. this entire process because the talent, I think the upside is off the charts. His size, his length, the movement he's able to generate in the run game, uh, a you know, decent to, to, to good athlete overall. But the dude has eight career starts, 800 snaps. I mean, he played less than 300 snaps in 2023. It was it was weird. It was hard to find tape on the guy. And he's a, a starting tackle at Georgia. I was like, I can't find the games in which you're playing because he had an ankle injury and one-year starter. Started the, the last two games of uh, 2022's championship run, the two playoffs games against Ohio State and TCU. So I watched those. Um, I think the upside, the length he has, it's so hard to get around him in pass pro. Um, his run blocking is really good overall. But it just, do you, do you spend a first round pick on a guy that has eight career starts? Well, I mean, how many did uh, Broderick have coming out technically? No, uh, no. Like he played, I think he played more game, snaps, more snaps, right. But he had, he had like 14 starts. It was it was more significantly more than Mims. Not well, like it wasn't super experienced, but more than Mims. I mean, you would think the cutoff would be a, 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 as far as the Steelers and liking at least seeing it on tape. Would uh, when it comes to a tackle, the cutoff would be you know what Broderick Jones did. You know, I just don't know. I mean, where is their cutoff? It's hard to say. They right. they, they typically do draft more experienced guys, right. but. I mean, it sounds like Mims will be a first-round pick. Someone's going to take him. Will it be Pittsburgh? I mean, th- there's just a risk when you just draft this guy that has not played a ton, but his tape is really good overall. But this is a pretty deep tackle class, right? I don't know exactly. You know, once you get past the first round, it, it's stronger at the top with um, uh, Penn State. How do you say it? Ole, uh, uh, I'm not looking at the last name right now. But, and you know, then the, the Oregon State uh, guy. Yeah, and uh, Joe Alt from Notre Dame. Right. Uh, it, it it feels pretty strong at the top. I think tackle, though, you know, those guys go so early. And then by the second round, you're kind of starting to – you're in a clearly different tier and, and really have a big step step down. So I'm still learning about this class. But I, I would say it's a little similar to last year where there's, there's a good amount of top heaviness, probably more top heavy this year than last year. But the fall off is probably going to be relatively dramatic. I tell you, since 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 uh, Arthur Smith was hired uh, to be the OC, uh, and really if this was the case before that, but but the fact now that we've had the conversation, we'll talk probably a little bit more here in a minute about the wide receiver position in the Steelers. Uh, I I entertain the fact that you could see a, a a a wide receiver maybe in the first two picks with the Steelers, but. Uh, but not so much now because we know, you know, or what we expect with the 11 personnel usage and how hard it would be even be for a, 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 a young wide receiver to come in and get any really, you know, huge playing time and targets and all like that. My, my focus right now uh, really is around the offensive line, uh, mm-hmm. either center or tackle or both uh, in, in, let's say, the first three picks. Yeah. And I think about it some more. This is what JC last them. So, and it's I don't, a, I don't think you, class. right. And I don't think you can ignore the defensive line need at some point during this draft as well, too. I mean, obviously you got Cam Hayward coming back and, and uh, well, you know, you would think Larry Ogan Joby's going to survive uh, uh, March and, you know, obviously drafted Bitten last year, but you know, you need future depth pieces. Uh, uh, so I think defensive line will be part of the, 
the 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 picks this year. I'm just not convinced that will be first two rounds. But most of my focus is going to be on figuring out uh, the center class and 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 the tackle group. That's fair. And another piece of pushback was that D line was too low, and I think it certainly could be higher. And I I would like it to be higher, but I'm just trying to find those names that fit, and it's just so tough to do, even in the earlier rounds, the body types and the skill set. There are some guys who check those boxes, but it is a small number. And with other needs for this team, it's hard to address them all when right. ideally you would want to. And and look, I mean, cornerback, cornerback, I mean, definitely the way this room is going to likely in, empty out. And even if you did re-sign some of these guys, I, you it feels like, and if you don't go the free agent route here uh, or, or high, higher profile free agent route, which we'll see if that's the case. I, I kind of doubt that'll be the case, but uh, uh, it feels like you're going to have to make an investment in, in, in that position, probably within the first four rounds. Sure. And again, for agency, we'll change these things and potentially plug some needs. And so without that roadmap, it leaves the whole, you know, it'll be easier to fill the needs once you get through a couple of free agents. Hopefully they can address some of those more you know, short-term immediate concerns. And that'll, help take some stuff off the board, ideally, when it comes to making your mock drafts. All right. Other than uh, round six and round seven, a punter and a, and, 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 and a running back, that's really the only pushback you're going to get from me. All right. Good deal. So next mock draft, again, will come out after the combine, before free agency. So I don't know, five or six weeks or so. So just kind of the first crack at it for me to help kind of get a starting standpoint, you know, foundation for me to, to work off of from there. All right. Where shall we go from here? Let's uh, take a pause and let's hear from Aaron Freeman. Mentioned him top of the show, covers the Falcons, done so for quite some time. Had him on the podcast a couple of years ago when Pittsburgh and Atlanta played and probably have him on, I guess, um, later this year, whenever they play the Falcons, right? They play the Falcons this uh-huh. year. Yeah, they do. With Raheem Morris, now the new head coach there. So uh, you can follow Aaron on Twitter and follow his show, the Locked on Falcons podcast at Locked on Falcons. Let's take a pause and come back with Aaron. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. It is Monday. It is February 5th. Uh, we are pleased to have back on the show once again. I think we had him on ahead of the Steelers road game against the Atlanta Falcons in 2022 to help get us ready for that game. Uh, he hosts uh, the podcast Locked on Falcons. Uh, you should be able to find that on any podcast carrier uh, whatsoever. You can find him on Twitter slash X at Locked on Falcons. I am, of course, talking about Aaron Freeman, who's covered the Falcons for quite a while, uh, kind of a go-to uh, person when, when with anything Falcons there. Aaron, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Thanks for being on back with us on this Monday ahead of the Super Bowl. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, I hope you guys think of me this year when the Falcons and Steelers uh, face off this year. Absolutely. We will have you on. And for a while there, uh, first and foremost, let's, let's start with this. You know, I think there was a lot of, uh, speculation that the, uh, that, that Bill Belichick would wind up, uh, uh, as the Atlanta Falcons new head coach. I, I thought that that was the way it was trending there. Obviously it didn't go that way. Uh, give, give me your thoughts on, on how the, uh, head coach situation ended up there in Atlanta with, you know, obviously with the Steelers going to be playing them this next, next season. Well, I was basically hashtag anybody, but Belichick. So I was pretty happy with how it ended up. I just didn't think going down that path of, 
um, you know, Belichick's obviously his record speaks for itself, but I think sort of signing up for the Patriot way for two or so seasons until he probably retires um, just to kind of blow things up didn't make a ton of sense for me. So I think the Falcons going with Raheem Morris, uh, giving him his second opportunity, a much deserved second opportunity. He has basically a hundred percent approval rating within the league from players and coaches alike, uh, including uh, your guys, Mike Tomlin, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think is a positive move for the Falcons and sort of puts them on a trajectory to sort of build towards the future, as opposed to looking back at the past and hoping that, you know, Bill Belichick can sort of recapture that magic, you know, of the last 20 or so years um, without Tom Brady, which I was very skeptical over his ability to do so. Uh, Mike Tomlin and Raheem, obviously uh, longtime friends uh, as well, too. They both speak very, very highly of each other. So it'll be uh, fun ahead of that game uh, to hear questions go back and forth uh, with those two. Uh, Aaron, let me roll you back in time to uh, 2000 and I guess 21 uh, there. Arthur Smith coming off of uh, two very impressive seasons as the offensive coordinator of the uh, of the Tennessee Titans. And then, you know, obviously parlay that into the head coaching job uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I know it's been several years ago, but uh, try to try to recall for us uh, your, your initial thoughts of that when it happened, uh, kind of maybe what you were expecting offensive-wise uh, uh, ahead of that hiring, and did you essentially uh, kind of see schematically what you thought you would see out of Arthur Smith uh, during his time in Atlanta? Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously back then Raheem Morris was the interim head coach and they went in a different direction uh, there, mostly because I think the Falcons were of the mindset that, you know, they had been in the last few years of the Dan Quinn era, uh, which is that this is a team capable of being, you know, a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender with the quarterback and the firepower that they had on offense with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley at that time. And the idea of hiring Arthur Smith was based around the idea of, you know, let's kind of fix the things that are sort of lacking in this offense, which is the run game and the red zone. Um, And you add that with the quarterback and the weapons that the Falcons have. That's a very potent mix to potentially you sort of carry this team back into the postseason where they had sort of been coming off three consecutive uh, losing seasons there. Um, And, you know, I think there was at that time for myself, sort of high expectations that Arthur Smith could sort of do that. Uh, My one issue that I always kind of had with Arthur Smith's offense in Tennessee was that it always felt that when it came to sort of explosive plays, which is kind of the thing that carries the day with offenses nowadays in the NFL, his offense wasn't necessarily great at designing those plays. A lot of it was just, you know, sort of routine play, just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry and he'd take a, a play that another running back might gain four or five yards on and he'd break two tackles and it busted off for a 20-yard gain or they'd run a dig route to sort of A.J. Brown 15 yards over the middle of the field. He'd break a tackle and, and sprint 40 yards or they'd run a screen to John o. Smith and he'd, you know, make two guys miss in the open field and and get 60 yards out of it. Um, And I think that kind of came to fruition here in Atlanta that when it came to the Falcons offense trying to be explosive, they were one of the least explosive offenses in the NFL the last three years combined. Um, That never really sort of developed. 
Um, and again, some of that may be owed to not necessarily having the types of playmakers that he had in Tennessee that were capable of doing those things with, you know, Kyle Pitts and Drake London as talented as they are, aren't necessarily the guys that are like great after catch guys, right? Like basically when it came to this specific season, a lot of the after catch stuff was like B. John Robinson and, and John U. Smith and, and pretty much nobody else. So I think in terms of what Arthur Smith was able to bring to the table, we did get to see the elite run game in 2022. Uh, it didn't, it kind of fell back down to earth this year. And I think that kind of is the starting point of where things kind of went wrong this past season, uh, beyond just simply the quarterback th- throwing a, a ton of interceptions and, and, and fumbling a lot. Um, and you know, the red zone never really quite clicked either. Like they, I think they were top 10 in red zone last year. And then the expectation was that they would continue to have that success this year. And, and they didn't quite do that. So I think for the most part, Arthur Smith in certain ways delivered on what the expectations were, but in other ways did not. But before I turn it over to Alex real quick, I I, I had pulled the data last week there. Uh, the Falcons, along with the Steelers, when it came to passing explosive plays over the course of the, I think the last three seasons, bottom five in the league uh, when it came to that. Now, when he came out of Tennessee, uh, I think over the, those two years, they were right at rank 15th in the league uh, in passing explosive plays. So I, it, it feel I, you know, I get I, my takeaway is, is along the lines with yours. It feels like kind of his ceiling as far as passing explosive plays might be around the middle of the league. Now, that would be a welcome sight right now in, <laughs> yeah. in, in you know, w- w- with the Steelers and all. But, you know, that's kind of the, the what I the sense that I get away get from you is really the ceiling with passing explosive plays might be middle of the league. Is that right? Yeah, I think that uh, that's fair. That was kind of my expectations going into this season with the Falcons. Like, I don't think this is going to be one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL, even with some of the talent that they have. Um, but if we can just get to league average, I think that would be, you know, a, a, a home run for, for this Falcons team and something that they can continue to build off of. And so I, I think that's what, you know, you're probably shooting for with the, with the Steelers at this point. Okay. Aaron, we know in Pittsburgh, quarterback is the big question mark in Atlanta last year, watching it from afar. It was a messy situation, this revolving door between Ritter and Heineke. I know neither guy played well, and that's kind of why the rotation was happening. But was it so messy? Did the, the, the front office, did ownership get involved? Why was that such a turbulent situation to quarterback last year in, in uh, Atlanta? Yeah, it's it's probably the big question I, I I sort of sit back and and have with um how the season went down and probably the biggest criticism I have of Arthur Smith is sort of how he handled that situation. Mm-hmm. Um I think personally they should have never benched Desmond Ritter to start with. I think he needed the reps and at the time when they benched him I felt like it was a little bit of an overreaction. He had had a couple of games where he had turned the ball over but sort of that Tennessee game you know, he had a, fu- a sort of a fumble in that first half of that game and the offense was stagnating. But really, in that first half of that game, like if you guys go back and watch that film, you're going to be like Jeffrey Simmons is <laughs> single handedly destroying the Falcons <laughs> offense. And it was just one of those things where like they couldn't get their offense going. And I think Arthur Smith made the decision to move to Taylor Heineke that following week against Minnesota 
Um, I thought Heineke was a kind of a disaster in that game. He, you know, he put the ball in harm's way multiple times, you know, a staple of the Arthur Smith offense, whether it was in Tennessee and Atlanta is, is running sort of dig routes, uh, those sort of inbreaker uh, type of, of route concepts. And Taylor Heineke couldn't hit a single one the entire game. And, you know, I, for me, I, I think part of it, when I, when I think about why Arthur Smith did, it, I think part of it is owed to what happened the previous year with Marcus Mariota, where the Falcons got off to a four and four start. They were in first place in the NFC South. And then they went into sort of what was the soft part of their schedule. No offense to Steelers fans. That was mm-hmm. uh, during the stretch of games when they were <laughs> playing the Steelers. Um, but you thought they were going to be able to rack up some wins and sort of take, uh, you know, the NFC South by storm. And they went like one and four, one and five over that sort of stretch. And then after that point, they decided going into their bye week to bench Marcus Mariota and turn the keys over to Desmond Ritter. And I feel like Arthur Smith kind of overreacted because he was kind of slow to pull the plug on, on Marcus Mariota the previous year. And this year, when the Falcons got off to their four and three start, were in first place in the NFC South. Um, and then like a week later, where basically like they lost that Titans game, I think he was like, you know, given some of the struggles that Desmond Ritter was having at that point, I think he was a little bit too quick to pull the trigger on him at that point. You got two games of of Taylor Heineke kind of sucking, <laughs> for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, and then they went into their bye week and Ritter got the job back again. And, you know, wasn't great coming out of the bye, but like at least I thought was better than Ritter. Um, and then you had two sort of games where the Falcons offense struggled under Ritter against Tampa Bay and in, in, in the Carolina. And then he had sort of a, a backbreaking interception at the end of that Carolina game. And like in a vacuum, I think that was a much more justifiable reason to bench him based off of that performance against Carolina than it was the previous time. Um, and so it, it was more understandable that second time uh, to to pull the plug on Ritter. But I think up until that point, you know, the decision, the sort of revolving door, the musical chairs, whatever you want to call it, at the quarterback position didn't make a ton of sense. And to me, it kind of felt like an overreaction to sort of Arthur Smith sort of overcorrecting for being too slow to pull the plug on Marcus Mariota the previous year and being a little bit too quick to pull the plug on Desmond Ritter this past season. Gotcha. Um, One of the biggest critiques around Smith has been not utilizing his playmakers enough Kyle Pitts Bijan Robinson is that a fair critique or do you think that's a misnomer for you know because there are because it felt like Pitts got more involved this past year Robinson caught a bunch of balls his touches were pretty high do you feel like that's a a fair critique or is that kind of a misinterpretation of how this offense ran you know I don't think it's quite fair like there's a kernel of truth to it I Mm -hmm. I certainly think that's fair to say um, I think it, it's more driven by fantasy football narratives than it is mm-hmm. when you watch the offense. Uh, you know, I think especially in the case of someone like Bijan Robinson, I, I remember doing a couple of podcasts during the course of the summer talking about how Arthur Smith's offense since he's been in Atlanta has been a two headed backfield. Uh, and that was going to remain the case with Bijan Robinson, even given where the Falcons had selected him. But I think the expectations from a lot of people outside of Atlanta and even some people inside Atlanta was that Bijan Robinson was going to get the same sort of usage that Derrick Henry got in Tennessee, which is, you know, 350 plus touches uh, a, a year. And for me, it was just like, he'll probably get like 250. Um, and so I think those expectations led to a lot of folks, you know, looking at Bijan, you know, 
quote unquote underperforming uh, this past season. And that sort of drove the narrative of, oh, Arthur Smith doesn't know how to use his playmakers when I just think a lot of it is just fantasy football uh, folks just got a little bit too far over their skis with sort of what their expectations were out of some of these players. Um, But certainly I, I do think there were certainly games, I think, throughout his time here where it was like, why did Drake London only get one target? Why did Kyle Pitts only get two targets? Why were there games where, you know, Bijan, I remember that late Carolina game where the Falcons, I think, ran the ball. I can't remember the numbers exactly off the top of my head, but they ran the ball like 15 times on first and second down. And like Bijan only got two of those touches. And it was just like, okay, like that number should be, you know, three, four times higher than that. Um, based off of how the rest of the season has gone. So I think there's certainly individual games where that was an issue. I don't think it was a consistent through line to the degree that I think a lot of people make it out to be. And I, I think that is mostly based off of people just being upset that, you know, their fantasy football teams didn't live up to the hype. Aaron, uh, when you look at the history related to Arthur Smith, uh, schematically uh, outside zone, inside zone, uh, the duo, you know, he, he, you know, nothing he runs is new. It's just the degree of the percentages that he runs them in. He has that great uh, 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 coaches uh, video up there that he did interview with the uh, North Carolina staff that we watched and critiqued and all like that. Uh, do you expect him to come into Pittsburgh and, and, and attempt to run heavy outside zone along with inside zone and then the duo uh, and not so much the uh, the gap scheme runs, which the Steelers actually, you know, if they if they did anything uh, good last year, it was once they started going to, to more the, 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 the gap uh, uh, man type schemes there. Is that is that who he is? Because it certainly looks like when you pull back uh, all five years of uh, – uh, you know, data as far as what he liked to run, run schemes, uh, that was it. Uh, do you expect that to continue? And obviously, heavy personnel uh, groupings, not a big 11 personnel uh, guy. And, you know, we, we're, we're expecting that to continue as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be the fascinating thing about his time in Pittsburgh, which is going to be sort of how much of sort of give you know, in terms of him versus Mike Tomlin, I guess, in terms of the vision for the offense, is it going to just be, hey, we're hiring you to come in and do your sort of typical things and sort of revamp this offense? Or is it like, hey, here are the, the couple of things that we do well. They contrast with some of the things that you've done, as you just mentioned. You know, we need to sort of kind of marry the two. And I I don't necessarily have an answer for you uh, right. because I, I, this is really the first time ever where he isn't necessarily sort of calling his shots. Um, but yeah, his MO has been very much outside zone heavy. Um, I imagine he'll dial that back a little bit just because I think at least specifically with the Falcons, like their offensive line ever since Dan Quinn's arrival in 2015, like when they brought in Kyle Shanahan as a play caller, like that has been sort of what they have built their offense to be over the last, you know, almost nearly a decade. Um, and so leaning on that in Atlanta made a ton of sense because that's just how they kind of built things. Um, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily the case in Pittsburgh. So I imagine he'll backtrack a little bit off of that in terms of like, I think the Falcons were like consistently like top three or five in terms of outside zone usage um, the last three years and, and probably previous years. Um, so I don't know if he's going to go that hard on that in Pittsburgh, but I, I do expect him to kind of bring 
sort of his typical sort of flavorings, which is, you know, the staple foundation of the run game is going to be the outside zone uh, with the stretch play and, and crack toss. And, you know, when you have an athlete like Broderick Jones, like, you know, that that could be a, a pretty sight to see getting him on the move uh, on some of those uh, toss plays on the outside. Uh, and then probably a, a lot of two tight end usage and uh, heavy usage of the fullback as well um, to be more of that sort of physical smash mouth football team that has always been the identity that he's striving for on offense. So I, I think you'll see a lot more of that probably than I, I would guess. Obviously, you guys are more experts on what the Steelers offense looks like, but I don't know if he's going to sort of dial it up to 11 to the same degree that he did in Atlanta. When you look at uh, the running game from the Falcons for the three seasons there uh, from advanced analytics uh, uh, aspect of, uh, you know, e- you know uh, expected points and success rates and all like that. Uh, first season there for, for, for Arthur Smith uh, wasn't great. Uh, things got a lot better in that second season, 2022, and then, you know, went back towards the bottom of the league in 2023. Uh, do you, do you have a good re? Do you have a good idea why you know it wasn't great out of the shoot and then jumped up? You know because look, they had Matt Ryan in that first year uh, there, and then you go to the uh, the you know Mariota uh, Ritter, I guess, in the second year, and then Ritter and Heineke in the third year uh, there. Do you have a good idea why? You know, they came out of shoot not with a great running game, and then it jumped up in that second season, and then bottomed out again. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people sort of look at the quarterbacks and and sort of attribute it to Mariota's running ability, sort of enhancing the run game. And and certainly it did to a degree. I don't think it, you know, sort of made or broke their uh, run game to the degree that I think some people suggest it did. I I just like watching the film these last couple of years. I just think it boiled down to their offensive line play sort of being up and down. Um, And this past year, I think some of it was owed to um, you know, a, a sort of a key player in their rushing success in 2022 was their tight end position at the blocking with a player like Parker Hesse, who sort of doubled as a sort of H back tight end type and was very good in that role. And for whatever reason, the Falcons sort of had him on the practice squad for most of the season. Um, and you could clearly tell that they weren't getting the same value in terms of that, you know, sort of perimeter blocking from their tight end position with guys like John U. Smith and Kyle Pitts and, and Michael Pruitt this year, as they were a year ago. Um, and then I just think you had a offensive, you know, Jake Matthews had a probably one of his best seasons as a run blocker in like five years last year, and then kind of regressed back to his sort of normal, not being able to, you know, move the line of scrimmage. Um, the left guard and rookie Matthew Bergeron kind of really struggled in terms of making the sort of reach blocks that are a staple of, of that outside zone scheme. And Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, who were the sort of, you know, the bread and butter on that right side of their offensive line, were a little bit more up and down. They were still very good this year, but they were a lot more up and down than they were a year ago where they were pretty much consistently kicking butt. Um and I think those were some of the big factors in why the run game did not live up to expectations. And I think that was kind of the bet that the Falcons were making this past year, which is our run game is going to be able to carry us. And so even if Desmond Ritter isn't good, our offense is going to be fine because of that, you know, having a top five, top 10 type of run game. And it didn't quite live up to those expectations, as you 
mentioned with the the metrics um and that kind of meant that the the passing game needed to do a lot more heavy lifting and they didn't have the quarterback or the weapons uh you know or really the speed in terms of their uh weapons at wide receiver to really you know do that heavy burden Aaron, Atlanta, 7-10, and 10, all three seasons under Arthur Smith. You guys really struggled down the stretch in 2023, lose four year last five and a winnable NFC South. Did he ever lose that locker room? And how did players react when Smith was fired? Because it did seem like the players still fought for him and always spoke highly of him, even after he was let go. Yeah, I, I don't think he ever lost a locker room. You look at the last two losses, they were kind of blowout losses to the Bears and, and, and Saints. And I don't think that was a reflection of him, you know, losing the locker room. I just think, you know, they just didn't have it on those on those Sundays, like with, with Justin Fields, like they had been struggling defending mobile quarterbacks all year long with like Josh Dobbs and, and Kyler Murray and Justin Fields just kind of cranked that up to 11 and, and DJ Moore just absolutely annihilated him that game. Uh, and then the Saints game was a pretty competitive game for the first half. And then, you know, I think quicksand kind of hit him in the second half with a couple of untimely Desmond Ritter turnovers. Um, and, and I think that at that point, it, it was kind of the here we go again. And, you know, not to say that they quit, but it was just, you know, they they kind of, you know, knew the writing was on the wall mm-hmm. and this thing wasn't going to go their way in the second half of that game to, to end the season. And it became a blowout there. Um, but I, I think for the most part, no, he did not lose the locker room. And I think for the most part, players were very supportive of him and and sad to see him go. I think, um, you know, despite his sort of gruff demeanor that is often presented outside to the media, um, I think he was very well liked in that locker room. I think he's very well liked by most people in in terms of the Atlanta media. It's just, you know, you know randos on Twitter <laughs> that um, <laughs> don't necessarily have the highest opinion of Arthur Smith. Sure. Gotcha. My last question for you, Aaron, then I'll let Dave finish things out. I know this one is going to be impossible to really predict, but if Arthur Smith has success in Pittsburgh, this offense gets going. Do you think he'll get a second chance to be a head coach somewhere? Do you think he'll be in talks to become a head coach again one, two, three years from now? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, you know, the ex- we, we've seen this sort of past coaching cycle where like I think like five out of the eight coaches were defensive minor head coaches, including the Falcons own hire of a Raheem Morris. And I think part of that is just due to how shallow the offensive coaching pool has become because that has been sort of the du jour um, hire. And I do think if he can get this Steelers offense humming at a level where, you know, they're back to being a playoff team and, and a team that can actually make noise in the AFC again, um, that's going to be the thing that someone's going to be like, yeah, it didn't work in Atlanta because, you know, he didn't have the right quarterback. They'll come up with whatever justifications they need to. And if we just, you know, we have the quarterback and we can get the quarterback right, you know, this offense can really work, um, you know, under Arthur Smith. And so I, I think he'll he'll get another opportunity. I think Pittsburgh's a, a great chance for him to sort of bounce back. Um, and so, yeah, I do think he'll he'll probably get another opportunity should that work out for him. Aaron, one thing that uh, when we look at the tape and and the data and all like that, that, that kind of has us excited is, you know, p- potentially more play action, 
in Pittsburgh. Uh, it would be nice to see some under center, but I'm not convinced that, uh, you know, uh, especially with, with, with Kenny Pickett, that uh, if, if he ends up being the guy that will see a lot of that. But I mean, any you know more play action period uh, would be fine. Uh, uh, use uh, of the middle of the field specifically, you know, some of those dig routes and, and over routes and all like that. Uh, we haven't seen nearly enough of that last three seasons. And what about uh, uh, in lieu of your know, shotgun and under center, uh, the use of pistol? It's kind of hard to get a grasp of of maybe how much pistol was used there in Atlanta. So uh, schematically, as far as the pass design goes and use in the middle, middle of the field, were you were you comfortable with how Arthur Smith did that? Did you like his play action rates? And, and talk a little bit about uh, uh, pistol usage maybe uh, versus under center. Yeah, it, you know, I don't know the numbers exactly off the top of my head, but I would just wager based off of the last two seasons, probably about half the time where they were, you know, in shotgun, it was pistol. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would guess that's probably somewhere between 25, 35 percent of their overall offense, uh, if not more, was operating out of pistol. So that was something that they wanted to utilize a lot these last two years with both Mariota and Ritter. Um, you know, I think when it comes to the play action stuff, I think he did a pretty good job. I, you know, I've obviously seen better version of that with Kyle Shanahan dating back to 2016. Uh And, um, you know, that may not necessarily be the fairest comparison to to compare him to one of the the best offensive coordinators in the NFL. So it it, it kind of fell short of that. Um, I guess for me, a lot of the issues became. When you talk about Arthur Smith's offense, like one of the things I always said was like his offense goes how well the offensive line plays, Mm -hmm. because uh, especially over the last couple of seasons um, when he had to basically dial things back because he he didn't trust the offensive line to hold up in their sort of standard six man protections. Um, And then he would, you know, get into a lot of more max protect and that, you know, would have a limiting effect on the offense just because you're only sending maybe two receivers out into the route. And and maybe that works a little bit better with Pittsburgh's weapons because, you know, Deontay Johnson and George Pickens are bringing a little bit more speed to the table than necessarily Drake London and Kyle Pitts were when they would get into that sort of mode. So, you know, I I feel like it it probably could work better in Pittsburgh with with some of that. But I I do think if – you know, I know Pittsburgh's offensive line has been kind of up and down these last couple of years, but I think if you can stabilize that unit, things tend to click for the Arthur Smith offense because he's able to do, you know, he he's able to reach fully into his entire bag of tricks. Now, I don't think his bag of tricks goes as deep as uh, Kyle Pitts's bag of tricks. Uh, one of the frustrating things, oh, I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan's uh, bag of tricks is one of the frustrating things that we didn't see enough of in Atlanta over the last couple of seasons was the usage of the tight end leak concept, um, mm-hmm. which was a sort of a staple of that sort of outside zone play action based offense. So maybe he'll get, he'll get Pat Fryermuth or, or Darnell Washington a little bit more involved uh, in that and, and, you know, learn from, from not utilizing it as much in, in Atlanta. Aaron, I've, I've followed you a while and you obviously, you know, I think as objective as, as, as possible, especially when it comes to uh, opinions and, 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 and tape 
tape breakdown and stuff like that. I know for, for the most part, you keep an eye on around the league here. Uh, Mason Rudolph is an unrestricted free agent this offseason. It's yet to be seen whether or not the Steelers will be able to get him back under contract. They sound like they would like to have him back under contract. Obviously, Kenny Pickett uh, is going to be back with this team as well, too. And uh, we think that potentially if they don't get Mason Rudolph back, that maybe they would go after bringing in a Ryan Tannehill. Very, very cheap just because of the uh, the f- familiarity, but let's say, let's say it's, it, it's Pickett and Rudolph, uh, under contract, uh, based on, based on what you've seen or know so far about, about those two quarterbacks, which obviously I'm not going to hold you to it. Cause it's not the team that you follow religiously, but which one of those, those, those two, two, would you imagine, ha- you know, would best fit maybe what Arthur Smith would like to do, especially if he's able, because look, uh, if, if they get this, you know, first and foremost, and I think you would agree, they have to get this running game going even better than it was, you know, this past season, they were about what, about top 10 in, 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 in some running game metrics. It feels like it's got to get a little bit higher in the top 10 for any of this to work, but assuming that happens, which, you know, do you think there's enough there with Kenny Pickett to get accomplished? What, Arthur Smith wants to do and or if not, you know, uh, do you think Mason Rudolph could potentially get that done? Yeah, uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't get to watch too much of the Steelers this Mm -hmm. past year. So, you know, uh, I don't really know where those two guys are at at their current points in their career. I can only really base it off of where I thought they were at the end of last year. Um, I know the things that Arthur Smith typically covets in a quarterback is he does want a little bit more mobility. I guess that would be. Uh, a little bit more Kenny Pickett than Mason Rudolph from my right. eyes. Um, and he just kind of wants a guy that can go out there and just, you know, execute the concepts um, as he calls them. Like he doesn't, he he doesn't need that guy to, you know, to, to do a ton of off structure stuff or just like, he's going to scheme up ways to, you know, get those five yard slants and, you know, hitches and stuff and he'll, he'll make it work. And and that was kind of the frustrating part of the Falcons quarterback situation, which is early in the season, Ritter was struggling to to execute those things. And then when they made the switch to Heineke, he was struggling even more to execute some of those things. So I I would probably lean Pickett just because he probably brings a little bit more of the mobility to the game with, you know, maybe running some read option at a pistol, maybe some of the rollouts on off of play action boots and and whatnot. Um, But ultimately I think it will boil down to whoever, can just, you know, execute the offense as it's called and, and who can get to the right reads pretty consistently and make a lot of those sort of short and intermediate throws that are kind of a staple to their offense. Um, whoever can do that best is probably going to be the guy that they wind up going with. All right. I want I want 100%, you know, and, and I expect you to give it to us. Uh, what is your huge, biggest uh, critique of of Arthur Smith coming out of the three years uh, in a, in Atlanta, you know what is the biggest thing that you would be the the, the most concerned about uh, as a as a fan of the you know, or Steelers fans? What's the what's the biggest thing they should be worried about with with Arthur Smith uh, coming to Pittsburgh? I, I think it boils down to the lack of explosiveness. That that to me okay. was kind of the thing that always um, held this offense back. Um, when the run game is cooking and it can carry the offense things are looking good when it's not. And then you need to kind of throw to whether either to come from behind or to, you know, facilitate their offense. It was a lot more inconsistent in that regard. And again, I think 
you know, a lot of his success in the past in Tennessee was just, you know, he had guys that were dudes, right. That could just turn simple plays into big plays. And, you know, I, I think the fact that he wasn't able to get the guys that, you know, were closest to being dudes in Atlanta, like Pitts and Bijan and um, London to consistently be that does give you some pause on whether or not he's going to be able to get that with, you know, guys like Pickens and, and Johnson and Fryermuth and Najee Harris and all those guys in Pittsburgh. So that would be my, my biggest concern is it's, it's boils down to the explosiveness. If, 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 he 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 will take some shots down the field, and I think Pickens will be able to do the thing that we've seen him do a bunch, which is just run downfield and we'll throw it up and you go make the play. Um, you know, that could work very well, right? It didn't work quite well in Atlanta because they didn't necessarily have that type of playmaker in terms of the vertical passing game, uh, nor the quarterback that could hit those throws. It, it seems like Pittsburgh's quarterbacks have done a decent job of hitting those throws to Pickens, Pickens over the last two years. So um, if if that works, can continue. He can spam that button in their offense. It probably could be fine, but I would, if that button isn't working, then I would have some concern about where he's going to be able to generate some of those explosive plays elsewhere. Is Mac Hollins a uh, Arthur Smith guy? And uh, uh, Alex predicted that if if any one 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 unrestricted free agent was to come over from Atlanta to Pittsburgh, it might be Mac Hollins. And was that stuff uh, on the sideline overblown? Uh, uh, with uh, him supposedly showing up uh, Ritter, which I don't think that was the case. If you go back and look at that tape, slow down and all like that. But is Matt Collins a, a, a Arthur Smith, Pittsburgh Steeler kind of guy, especially with uh, they don't use a, you know, it doesn't look like Arthur Smith uses a, a you know, 11 personnel all that much. Yeah, that that's going to be interesting because like Matt Collins saw his playing time drop off of a cliff shortly thereafter that moment I, again I, I agree with you it didn't seem like that was the reason i i would attribute it mostly to the falcons realizing that because the run game wasn't carrying their offense they need to get more speed on the field and so that led to trading for van jefferson and scotty miller getting more play time and Kadero hodge and you know hollands is 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 a big physical guy but he's not a guy that's really going to stretch defenses in that way so i i i'll be curious to sort of see if they sort of link up again just because Hollins was kind of relegated to being a special teams player for the latter two thirds of the season. And I would imagine like he didn't have too much fun (laughs) doing that, you know, um, and wants a a better opportunity to be part of the offense. So if he follows Arthur Smith to Pittsburgh, it, it could happen, but I would probably be a little skeptical of that just because that marriage seemed to kind of sour about a month into the season. Now, I don't know if that's because, you know, a personality standpoint or uh, in terms of clashing, but it did feel like the Falcons were looking for something different than what Matt Collins was bringing to the table. And um, we'll just sort of have to see, I guess. Uh, what is the uh, Falcons biggest need in the draft this year? Quarterback and, and pass rush, basically. Okay. All right. Who do you got in the Super Bowl? I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Uh I've been predicting them to their downfall all AFC long uh, with the Bills and the Ravens, and they couldn't take them down. So I don't expect the 49ers to, to to be the team that does it. So I'll go with the Chiefs. All right. Tell the folks what you got going on over there on Locked On Falcons podcast. We'll be covering um, the Falcons offseason. Um, we're, we're breaking down the coaching hires and all the assistants and doing some uh, breakdowns of different positional groups all week long uh, on the defensive side of the ball after last week 
doing some senior bowl stuff in the offense the previous week. Uh, and so we're combines, you know, right around the corner. And so right. we'll be getting into draft and free agency over the next couple of weeks. So people can check that out. Aaron, uh, Alex and I certainly do appreciate uh, your time jumping on, tell, telling us all you know about Arthur Smith and, and you know, his time uh, with the Falcons there. Uh, hopefully, maybe we'll catch up with you one more time during uh, draft season here and all like that. I think you do tremendous work. Uh, folks can follow Aaron on Twitter slash X at LockedOnFalcons. Uh, Aaron, hey, thanks for being back on well, the, the, uh, the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Appreciate you guys having me on. Always love being able to take a deep dive into some of these X's and O's stuff that you don't always get the chance to do elsewhere. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. Again, our special thanks to Aaron Freeman for his always terrific insight on the Atlanta Falcons. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Locked on Falcons, Dave. As always, appreciate Aaron's time. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, uh, you know, got some. I, I probably more confirmation than anything, but I uh, got a few. Uh, I think new interesting nuggets. It was uh, interesting to hear, and and uh, I do agree with him. Maybe one of the biggest fears. Uh, uh, when it comes to Arthur Smith uh, landing in Pittsburgh, is how you know how are they going to uh, create the explosive plays and will there be enough of them, especially in the passing game? Uh, as mentioned in his three years at Atlanta, there, uh, co- uh, combined, they're down in the bottom of the league along with the Steelers the past three years when it came to passing explosive plays. When you roll back to his two years at Tennessee, the, the, the best it was, I think it was around 15th in the league in passing explosive plays. Now, if they, if the Steelers can get the running game going like, you know, the hope is that they get the running game going. And if they can get the passing explosive plays uh, combined with that uh, to 15th in the league, I mean, that that should be enough. Right. Uh, in, in, in my opinion, obviously, you'd like to have it higher than 15th in the league there. But I think uh, the, uh, at its core with, with seeing how he's able to get this running game going in Pittsburgh is they you need explosive plays in the NFL. You just got to have them. And and I, I I think that should be the number one concern. I put them on the spot. So what is the biggest concern here? And that that's producing passing explosive plays. So uh, uh, I I would agree with his analysis coming out of that. It was funny to listen to Aaron talk about the Falcons' thought process going into twenty twenty three. Of if we if we just have a, a top five top ten run game, we can be fifteenth in explosive pass game, and we can make that work. And that's. Basically, what I think Pittsburgh's goal is this year, if we can be a top five, top 10 run game, be consistent, be efficient, have a faster start in 2024 than they've had the last two years and have even an average pass game, average big play pass game with this defense, it'll be healthier and hopefully improve and just be as solid as it was you know, at its best in 2023. That's the model of how Pittsburgh's going to win next season. Yeah, look at it, and as we've stated, it doesn't to me. It doesn't matter how good the run game gets. The the quarterback play has got to get better, and uh, if they're able to do everything that 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 Arthur Smith wants to do and do it, you know, a, 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 as successfully as they hope to do, are you going to have the quarterback play to 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 uh, punctuate everything? Sure, but the run game has to set up the pass game. It right. cannot be pass game setting up run game. If that run game can really get going, not it's it's, it's not going to guarantee the quarterback play is going to be great, but it's going to set that foundation, that baseline for the quarterback play to certainly improve. 
Right. So, uh, uh, appreciate him. Uh, got a, got a lot of good info out of him. And as you mentioned, we'll try to maybe have him back on during the pre-draft process. All right, Dave, you were busy on Sunday with a couple interesting articles. And uh, speaking of Arthur Smith, before we mention that, we should mention uh, Smith had his first interview with Steelers.com's Missy Matthews. I don't know if they're going to do an actual press conference. I'm guessing they won't if they did that one-on-one. With I would Arthur hope they Smith. would, but we'll see. But yeah, maybe they, I mean, they, they could do both, but um, he did do the interview with Missy Matthews. Nothing earth shattering there, but good to hear from him. And uh, I think the most interesting part was him talking about needing to cultivate the relationship with Kenny Pickett. It's not going to be instantaneous. They're going to work at it over time. He's going to work at it. Pickett's going to work at it, but that is certainly the number one guy that has to improve under Arthur Smith. Right. If you talk about an eight minute interview, which I think that thing was, and if you hyper-focus on some of the key, uh, uh, less obvious you know, things that you would expect out of a guy to say during his first interview with a new team uh, uh, media type type situation there. Uh, it would be the comments of and, and, and people will hyper focus on him mentioning Kenny Pickett specifically and not Mason Rudolph. But look, Mason Rudolph's not under contract. So uh, you have to talk about, you know, guys under contract. Uh, but it's easy to have the takeaway that he's being brought in and that Kenny Pickett's going to be just, you know, it's hard not to, to take away with him thinking that he's coming to Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett being the team starting quarterback right now. Right. What was the question that prompted the answer? Wasn't it about Pickett or about young quarterbacks in particular? I don't remember what Missy had asked, but I think it wasn't, I think Arthur was just responding to the question that he was, you know, was being addressed to him. Uh, who, who has that? Uh, I don't think I have the, the transcription on that. Didn't Ross, uh, post that so we could read back through real quick. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause if they dropped it early on, I think Saturday morning, um, I, I didn't, I, I just would have to go back and listen, but I, 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 I don't, I don't interpret his answer as any sort of slight against Mason Rudolph. I just think the question was more directed on Kenny Pickett. All right, I think I have it right here. Uh, give me a keyword to search from that answer. Uh, Kenny or Pickett or relationship. I mean, I think that was some of the answer that Smith had provided there in talking about having to build upon that and work together and learn about how each other what makes you tick and all those kinds of things. All right. He uh, was first asked for the quarterback to be successful in your system. What do you need to see from that person? He says, I've been fortunate enough to work with uh, the quarterbacks, yada, yada, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan. Uh, and I work with young quarterbacks as well. And it's exciting to hear the way that this offense is built with a lot of young players. And obviously where Kenny Pickett's at going into his third year, playing with a playing with a young quarterback, being efficient, being able to get the ball out, making the smart decisions, getting the ball in the playmaker's hands, yada, yada. And a lot of things that come up with the responsibility of playing quarterback in the National Football League because there's pressure situations. So it feels like he volunteered Kenny Pickett's name first when asked about quarterback being successful in your system. And then follow-up was you mentioned Kenny Pickett. 
Uh, Steeders president Art Rooney II said that the OC, he wants uh, to see them help Kenny take the next step in his career. How do you start the, that process? So he was asked more specific question about Kenny Pickett uh, as a follow-up. He says, yeah, well, first off, you know, there's a relationship that's got to be built between me and Kenny. And that's so paramount between the play caller and the quarterback. The quarterback's obviously uh, the one out there between the white lines. And then he kind of plays, I've got to earn Kenny's trust and vice versa as we build this off offense and all things that we want to work on and we want want him to work on and take command of the offense. So uh, he volunteered Kenny Pickett first in the conversation and then the follow-up was centered around uh, Kenny Pickett. Gotcha. I still don't see that as a, a slight against, I think he was just talking about the right. offense and right. youth of the offense and mentioned Kenny and, you know, Kenny's still the starter right now, surely thinks, as you said, Rudolph is a pending for agents to so focus on the guys that are the, as of right now, current starters and under contract. Right. And had he been asked about Mason Rudolph, it would probably been a line as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know, you know, we don't know uh, his future yet at, 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 at this point. So uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm just trying to build around the way this, this is probably going to be, you know, sure. narratorized, you know, uh, if that is a word, but uh uh, and he was asked about Kenny and Kenny's obviously under contract and, you know, he's going to talk about building a relationship with him or whoever the quarterback is, uh, uh, for, for that matter. So really overall, did we learn a lot from this? I thought some interesting things about his relationship with Tom Moore that mm-hmm. won't be highlighted. Uh, he, he seems to be, a uh, you know, good kind of historian, uh, so to speak. And, you know, obviously talked about his upbringing and big family and 10 kids and, you know, having a military background there. So uh, other than what we just highlighted there, not a lot to take away uh, from from that interview with Missy, I don't think. Dave, on Sunday, you wrote two interesting articles. The first one, speaking of Arthur Smith, about, you know, will this team add a, a free agent wide receiver? What caliber would that be? What does a third receiver look like in Pittsburgh's offense? Kind of go through that and your, your conclusions from that study. Yeah, and it's not earth shattering based off of what we think that we know about Arthur Smith to date. It's more about putting pen to paper and trying to uh, come up with, with you know, uh, definite reasoning behind it from what we've seen. And if you roll back to the last five seasons of Arthur Smith, uh, his time in two, two seasons in Tennessee and his three seasons with the Falcons, and you look at the, not only the targets that the uh, third you know, uh, receiver on the list in, 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 in both those locales got, but the playing time associated with it, it, it your 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 takeaway is that whoever winds up being the 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 third most used wide receiver in Pittsburgh uh better be ready to have a very diminished role overall uh the five players who had the third most uh playing time slash targets in his last Five seasons here, uh, averaged just 325 offensive snaps a season with Smith running the offense. Additionally, point out that those five players averaged 34.6 targets, 20.8 receptions, 241.4 receiving yards, and two touchdowns uh, over the span of those five years. uh, if you roll back to the Steelers last season, rollback is my new my new 
key word rollback. <laughs> You're probably going to hear me say rollback a lot uh, in the coming months here. Uh, if you roll back to 2023 with the Steelers, Allen Robinson was the third most targeted wide receiver with 49 in total. So, I mean, that to me, that feels like a, a ceiling, so to speak. And uh, obviously the Steelers played a lot more 11 personnel than what we think Arthur Smith's going to play uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, Robinson caught 34 passes for 280 yards, but did not have any touchdowns behind Robinson last season at the wide receiver position was Calvin Austin, who registered 30 targets, uh, 17 catches, 180 yards and a touchdown. Long story short here, and it's hard to make a Dave long story short. Uh, I think you alluded to this with with throwing out uh, Mac Hollins, who we talked briefly about with with, with Aaron Freeman about. Uh, if you if you think that the Steelers are going to make a play for a uh, Tyler Boyd or a uh, uh, who's the Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, anybody of name or or even above average contractional value when it comes to adding a wide receiver from the outside via free agency i think you're spinning your wheels there overall if they bring in and now i do think that there's a possibility that they add from the outside uh, as far as a, 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 a wide receiver goes during free agency, but you better lower your sights. You better lower your sights to someone like a Mac Hollins. And to hear Aaron really speak about Mac Hollins, it kind of it kind of questions whether he might even want to come to Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I heard the story about him and Ritter and everything that happened there. I mean, it, it, as Aaron kind of said, it felt overblown and taken out of context. I mean, with Matt Collins, though, he's not going to become a key offensive piece for any team. He's going to have to be 32, so he's going to have to have a bit role no matter where he goes. So point taken on on that from Aaron, it's good insight. But wherever he goes, it's not like he's going to be playing thousands of snaps a season. But, yeah, it's a tough sell to get a third wide receiver to come to Pittsburgh, I think, based on the current construction. And, again, we talked about last and 11 personnel usage the Falcons, I think, were last year and have been that way for – for years now. And, you know, given that Pittsburgh does not have an obvious number three slot receiver, they're not really not going to be hurt by, you know, having Smith be a a heavy personnel type of team. They won't be a great player sitting on the bench. It's Allen Robinson who won't be under or won't return under his current contract and Calvin Austin, who, you know, people will disagree with me. I think, you know, I don't think there's a ton there with Austin, not, you know, there's something there, but not a guy that I'm dying to get on the, the, the field and trying to, to manufacture him the football. So um, point being is that, you know, they're not going to probably utilize a third receiver a ton. And so they're not going to go spend or draft that position highly. And that'd be a hard selling point. If I'm an agent for one of these kind of guys yeah. that, that, that potentially uh, late twenties, early thirties, uh, I'm going to tell them, look, you're probably not going to get the playing time and the targets that you want, barring kind of injuries. And they might ask you to play special teams as well, too. Come Uh, come block, Michael Thomas. You want to come block and play crack toss for 50 snaps in Pittsburgh? Right. So uh, I I think, you know, I wrote this more of a finality of kind of what we expect with Arthur Smith and the personnel groupings and the fact that if they do go uh, uh, at a free agent route uh, uh, wide receiver, that that people better lower their sights from a 
Tyler Boyd or a, uh, or a, or a Michael Thomas or anything along those lines. Now they could still sign somebody or draft an out because they need an outside receiver. Jeff is an issue. Johnson's last year was contract. So there's still a need and a desire to improve that, that group, but it's not maybe as urgent and as immediate as it would be had to hire a Cliff Kingsbury or Gerard Johnson or somebody like that. Right. Uh, And, and I still think this team drafts a wide receiver. I think they Mm -hmm. should, but I think the kind of person that you now look for, uh, doesn't have to be top, you know, top two, top three rounds. I think a, a guy that maybe you could, uh, that has upside to maybe develop as either an X or a Z. Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, you want the traits all there. Uh, look, you, Deontay Johnson was a third round guy, you know, came, came kind of, kind of came out of nowhere, really, you know, overall, even though mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we knew who he, 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 he was, uh, Maybe you can get that kind of guy in the fourth, fourth or fourth round or something like that. And and maybe on top of that, a guy that has some special teams background, because he, he, you know, if he's going to see the field, I think, barring injury with the Steelers, it would have to be dressing as as a guy that, that will help you on special teams, at least initially there. So I think this team should draft a wide receiver, not play around unless they could get some veteran benefit contract guys, which they probably will uh, within that realm. But I, I, I do think fourth sixth, seventh round, uh, they do need to draft a wide receiver. Just quickly, would you want them to draft a body type more in the George Pickens mold or more in the Deontay Johnson mold? That's a great question because what is, if you get past this year with with Deontay Johnson, assume he's not back in 2025, Mm -hmm. does George become your ex? Yeah, he's he's kind of the more that Z profile but who's your like who's your separator who's your route runner right you, know, you kind of will miss that if johnson's not back right and we have seen george play obviously some x in college and all like george sure. in, george in arthur smith's offense or what we we think is going to be the offense george could probably handle the x uh, yeah i think he can yeah i mean you can isolate him and force defenses to rotate or single him up i think he's an aj brown type where he's that you know, big body, hopeful yak guy, Pickens approved his yak greatly in 2023. But I think you would, to answer my own question, I think you look for the Deontay type because you need that more natural route runner and separator and space guy that can also, of course, create yak. Deontay at his best is is really good there. So I think with knowing that he's potentially gone after 2024, you want to find that replacement. When, when they lost AB, they didn't go draft a big body guy. They drafted Deontay. He was a similar skill set as AB. I think you do the same with Deontay Johnson. I don't think you go into this uh, needing a. I, I think you go into it very open minded of mm-hmm. of the best player available that fits your traits and all, uh, regardless of body type. In this, I think you can be very open minded to the type of receiver, especially where I envision them drafting one this year. Sure, that makes sense. I'm I'm good with that. All right. All right, your other uh, study that you did, or other commentary, was on Jalen Johnson, the Bears' cornerback. I know he made some comment at the Pro Bowl that his heart's in Chicago, but his mind's on the money. A pending free agent, um, you know, lay out basically why, despite those comments, Johnson, you know, becoming a Steeler, let alone hitting free agency, seems pretty slim. Look, first and foremost, would we all like to see uh, uh, John Jalen Johnson in a Steelers for, uh, uniform? Would he be a fit? Yes. 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 
Yes, 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 yes. Uh, not against it from that standpoint. Uh, and obviously, if you circle back to uh, uh, pre-trade deadline last year, there was all the rumblings. Uh, to what degree, we don't really know. I know Jerry Dulac put out there that the kind of news to him that the Steelers really had any serious interest. Uh, that's that's not the point of, 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 of the conversation here, whether they did or didn't have any interest, real interest in, 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 in Johnson ahead of last year's trade line trade deadline. Obviously that didn't happen. He ended his season uh, with the bears. Uh, and you know, the, the comments that he made uh, at the pro bowl, uh, according to NFL.com were kind of things that you would, I think expect to come out of the mouth of a guy that's looking to get paid this off season. Yeah. Hearts definitely in Chicago. Mine's definitely on the money. So, I mean, we'll figure out if we can make them both come together and get something done. I'm looking forward to see what's to come. Uh, I don't think I mean I, I I don't I don't blame him for those words coming out of his mouth there. I think later he was asked to kind of uh, 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 back up his claim that he believes he's one of the best corners in the league right now. He says no doubt, no doubt. Uh, I think just like I was saying, just through my career, just continuing to get better, continuing to get better. And then there were all, some some kind of off the fringe quotes as well to just loose, you know, uh, not not really relevant to the conversation here. Long story short. He's going to get paid this offseason. I would fully expect, based on the comments that 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 uh, Bears GM Ryan Poles made a couple of weeks ago, uh, a little less than a month ago, stating that he's not going anywhere. That would at least lead you to believe that the franchise tag is coming uh, for him, for, for Johnson out to shoot. And if that happens, the tag carries over or is expected to carry over $18 million uh, uh, monetary value with him. Now, let's say they tag him. And between now and the start of the draft, contract breakdowns just aren't going going the way both sides want them to do. And the Bears got into the situ got into a situation of we're just probably not going to be able to get anything done with him. Uh, let's see what we can maybe uh, uh, trade him for with him wearing the tag. Well, if you do that, the team that that wants to acquire him would first and foremost have to accommodate the tag underneath their own cap. And the closer you get to the draft, that might be harder for teams to do, the Steelers specifically. Now, uh, I, I, I make it a point to say at this point, if a team wants any player bad enough, they can make it work under the tag, and that's Pittsburgh included. There is some massaging that would obviously have to go on with any team in that situation. The Bears, I think, are projected to have 40 be 40 something million dollars under the cap, not even with Johnson wearing the tag. So they could obviously easily accommodate that. Uh, it would be a chore for any team, unless they already had an abundant amount of cap space. And, and there are those teams out there to acquire Johnson via a trade with him wearing the tag and then the onus being put on on that team of then working out a deal with him that undoubtedly would end with Johnson being a top three highest paid cornerback in in the NFL. Then there's the whole. How many how many years fully guaranteed? You have to think a, a guy in his situation is going to want at least the first two, if not the first three years, fully guaranteed. Uh, my main takeaway here is, while not impossible, uh, I highly doubt 
that if the Bears got themselves in a situation where they tagged and then tried to trade Johnson, I just I have it hard, very hard to imagine that the Steelers would be players in 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 any of this. Assuming it even gets to a tag and trade scenario, I think what happens is either they work out a long term deal before uh, free agency before the tag comes in, or they tag him and they get a long term deal done after, or he plays in the tag. I mean. You know, Chicago, they got to win this year. I mean, they they narrowly saved their jobs this year. Eberflus and Polst did. It was looking pretty bad for a while. They got better down the stretch, and you know they're, they're still in that position because of how they finished the season. They don't want to trade away their top cornerback for some potential and, um, you know, wait for those guys because by the time those guys develop, they probably, you know, Eberflus and company won't be there to, to see those guys yeah, at their full potential. So point is, once they locked up Montez Sweat, that opened up the franchise tag for them to, to, mm. to hold over Jalen Johnson. And I expect him to be a bear one way or another. Uh, and even if he were to hit free agency, the money, as you said, or you know, if he's available in some capacity, I mean, Pittsburgh could do it, but is that their style? Typically, no. And so I think it'd be tough for them to, to work that out. And look, once you give the guy a tag like that, as we talked about the over the years, you, you are telling that player and his agent, he is a worth at least this per year. And then you work the deal uh, off of that. And if they tag him, you would have to think it's with the, with the, uh, 90% chance that they're going to get a deal done with him. However, comma, if they don't, then it would be on the onus of the other team, to because at that point he's wearing the tag and says, "Hey, I'm I'm going to count this against your cap. It's up to you to, mm-hmm. to 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 work out a deal where I I get what I think I deserve to be paid while you get my first year cap number down uh, uh, on top of it. I think the only chance, only only chance that that Johnson has of being a stealer would be for the bears not to tag him and just let him because of maybe conversations ahead of time thinking, well, we'll tag him and there's just no way that we're going to be able to get the deal done. And, and, and in other words, letting Johnson walk off into unrestricted free agency and letting whatever teams basically bid on his services at that point. And even then uh, it's unimaginable that the Steelers would be in, in, in the market with those other teams. But but the only way I can fathom him being a Steeler would be the Bears not tagging him and allowing Johnson to hit the open market and there'd be a free-for-all that way. Right. So bottom line is we don't expect Jalen Johnson to be the answer to the Steelers' you know, quarterback slot opposite of Joey Porter Jr. It would be great. It would be great if it happened. I mean, he'd be a fit and all like that. And and realistically, the the next guy on the list, if you move past even the Johnson with the Sneed, uh, with 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 Sneed at Kansas City, a are they going to tag him? B if they don't, and he hits open free agency, this is going to be a guy that's still going to be expected to be top five, three highest paid cornerback in the league. And then you get in the conversation of really the prize potentially the prize unrestricted free agent cornerback in this draft. If Johnson's tag is Snead and what is the likelihood of the, the Steelers going down that path? I, you know, once again, if it was to happen, it would be because he Snead became a free agent, but I, I just, I have a hard time envisioning, envisioning the Steelers making them the you know top two or three highest mm-hmm. paid cornerback in the NFL. Same here. So I'm glad you laid that out. I know that Johnson will be talked about, for the next couple of months or a couple of weeks until maybe a tag decision. When is the tag deadline? 
When is the uh, uh, a couple of weeks ahead of the, the the new league year? And it, I don't know the exact okay, date, so but I mean, it, it, it's we're coming up, coming up on when when that window opens where teams okay. can do that. So that will probably provide some clarity on Johnson. Again, I expect him to be tagged if a it may not happen until the last second because I imagine right. they're going to negotiate as long as possible and try to have as healthy of a conversation and, and utilize the tag at the last second if if they can't agree on a term uh, a deal, but. A tag, I think, will be their their alternative if a long term deal uh, between Johnson and the Bears cannot get worked out. Right, him, him uh, Johnson and his representation would be foolish not to force the tag unless they just get blown away mm-hmm. by by an offer, which I don't think is going to happen. I think it's just going to be part of the process to tag him first and then work out the deal from there. Yeah. All right, Dave. So good information there. We are running long today. We can get to maybe an email or two and close out today's show. Dave and I will also have the live stream tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So that'll be a good forum for you guys to ask your Steelers questions. But uh, maybe one or two emails if there's anything really notable in there, Dave. All right. I'll just hit one here uh, from Richard Jameson sticks out. Would you please explain the difference? Well, this is going to be a long, long one. Uh, he wants to know the difference between uh, zone and gap uh, running. Maybe you can su- summarize this fairly quick uh, for, for Richard Jameson. He wants to know the difference between zone running and gap running. He says, you mentioned that the Steelers used a zone scheme for the first half of the year, but shifted to a gap scheme uh, for the second half of the year. However, a friend of mine says SIS has a Steelers running zone more in the second half of the season than in the first. Uh, is this because different people define zone uh, or is his friend just wrong? Well, uh, a quickly uh, disseminate difference between zone and gap and what you saw as far as usage in the first half and the second half of the season. Yeah. I mean, you know, just think about you know, gap scheme is like man blocking zone scheme is, uh, you know, zone blocking, obviously it's like man coverage and zone coverage, um, man coverage, you're assigned to a specific person, uh, in, in zone, it's more based on how the defense flows. And so you're always, you know, you're blocking somebody, but your overtakes and who's going to climb to the second level will be influenced by how the defensive line shifts and slants and where the linebacker is at, where the D line is at. So basically zone blocking is you're on a track and, the way that you block is dependent on how the defense plays it and, you know, man blocking or, you know, a gap specifically is when somebody's pulling, there's a puller, a guard, a tackle, somebody like that. And you're assigned to a man that you block instead, regardless of how the defense presents itself and is structured. All right. What about the uh, usage last year? I mean, I hadn't seen those numbers and, and, and to be clear, I mean, I mentioned this before, they were not a gap exclusive team. They were varied. They ran everything under mm-hmm. Pat Meyer outside but, zone too. Like we said, yeah. six, oh, how many times did we say 60 something times? I think so. More, more, or something. more than what, what I envision or more than what I remembered, especially with outside zone, at least the way SIS has them listed. So I don't know the exact numbers. I don't know if that's totality. If those are uh, total numbers, they just ran the ball more the second half of the year because they were playing with leads and they weren't playing from behind and getting blown out as often. I don't know if that's a percentage type thing. So I don't have the exact data in front of me, but they did not run a single gap run the first month. I can promise you that they ran a couple of play fakes off of it, um, which is funny when you don't even run the ball off of it. I don't know how effective that play fake becomes, but, and, and they were, I mean, they ran some man and like duo stuff early in the season, those, those first four weeks, but they didn't run any, any gaps. So I don't have the data that your friend apparently has in front of me to, to look at it all. Um, and, and to be clear, they ran everything. They ran zone the last half of the season. Again, what was that the Seahawks game? They ran split zone like 45 times. They just mm. ran it with Hayward and, and that was really uh, successful. So they are varied, but they, they, 
incorporated gap, and that really became a key element to their run game the second half of the year. All right, because we tried to have the interview in here and and, and, and get to, uh, Alex's mock draft and the conversations about uh, the studies that I've done and talk about uh, uh, Jalen Johnson, we've run way, 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 way long. Uh, we are having the live stream tonight on YouTube, as Alex mentioned. So we invite everybody, if you get to this point of the podcast and want you know more questions answered, that's what that's designed for on Monday night. That'll get started at 7 Eastern time and on Alex Kazora's YouTube channel. So seek that out. We'll try to get to some more questions later on uh, in the week. Uh, got a bunch in here from uh, from from listeners uh, via the email machine. So uh, and we're going to have to leave it at this uh, for today on this Monday. As always, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do, uh, want to donate, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button in the navigational bar. And also, as always, a uh, ad-free version of the site uh find that ad-free button on steedersdepot.com for 25 dollars for one year you can have an ad-free version of the site and that will be going up uh later on in the off season so make sure you jump on that offer as far as the ad-free version goes right now so until wednesday as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex 